wife's parents recently bought a new house in the suburbs of Chicago. One of the unique things about this house is that its basement is essentially one massive game room. There is a ping pong table and also a super fancy dance machine. There are two slot machines in case you want to hone your skills at the local casino. There's a karaoke machine and a home movie projector and an old fashioned pinball machine. During a family get together during the holidays, these games were center stage. My wife has an especially large and close knit family. And most of them I've met before, uncles and aunts, cousins from both sides of the family, grandparents, children, and often a new significant other of someone's. Games are one of the ways that they connect across generations. It's a way to act out old rivalries, to poke fun at each other, and engage in mostly friendly competition. That night, I had just come off of a highly intense and competitive ping pong game. My team won entirely through the skill of my partner who had honed his skills at his job where they had a ping pong table they played every day at lunch. I was the weak link of that team. Afterwards, though, I took a breather and I found myself at the pinball machine. There, one of the children, my wife's cousin's son, was playing. I think he was seven or eight. He gestured me over and invited me to play. He took the right side, I took the left. If you ever played pinball before, especially the old-fashioned kind, which this was, you know how it can go. You pull the lever to shoot the ball up, and it bounces a little bit before plummeting down to where your flippers are at the base. Sometimes the gods of pinball are with you. The ball will bounce from one bumper to the next, racking up satisfying beeps and turning on blinking lights, and then softly land and roll down so you can launch the ball back up and watch the magic happen again. That is the best case scenario. But what usually happens, at least for me, is that you shoot the ball up have it bounce around a bit, plummet down towards your flippers, and go straight through them both. Game over. Or alternatively, and perhaps even more frustrating, is when you feel like you're doing really well, maybe thinking that you've finally gotten the hang of it. You might feel, for example, to be close to hitting all of those little flaps in that one section that is really hard to hit. And it's exciting because who knows what will happen if you get that last one? No doubt it will be life-changing. All the lights and the sounds will go off. You have finally made it. But of course, instead of hitting that very last flap and finding out how your life will change forever, you hit the ball up and it ricochets unexpectedly off a bumper. And all you can do is impotently flop your flippers back and forth as it goes straight through them and you start all over. And that was our experience that day. I was not having the most fun in the world. I find myself making comments to my teammate like, man, that's annoying. Or, we were so close. Or, this flipper must be broken, it sticks, it definitely should have moved. 
I noticed after a few times of this, of us failing, that this commentary of frustration was one-sided. Only one of us was bothered by our continued failure, and it was me. My young friend was totally unperturbed. After each loss, no matter how it happened, quickly or in the glimpse of success, he patiently just pulled the lever again, sent the ball back shooting up to play once more. The cycle would repeat. We played for about 15 minutes, countless games, and not once did he express any concern or dissatisfaction with our collective badness. Was I, I wondered, in the presence of some kind of Zen master, some enlightened child, wise beyond his years? He seemed to have figured out something that I clearly had not, how to enjoy something without worrying about your success or failure. It did not matter where the ball went, whether we won or lost. What mattered to my little friend was simply that he was enjoying playing the game. This was a moment of reflection for me. Why did I, this, the adult in the room, feel the need to comment continually on our losing? Where was my discomfort coming from at a game that had no stakes? Why did I need to taint our experience with the assumption that it would only be fun if we were winning or good at it? I felt a bit embarrassed, frankly, uh, as he was silent when I protested, and I quieted down. I was the adult after all, and I was bringing perhaps my own baggage for the need to win at pinball, which is pretty low on the list of things to actually get worked up about. I even felt envious. How freeing and wonderful it must be to be you, child, Zen master, enlightened one, just do something for minutes on end and not be troubled by concerns of your ability to be tied to the outcome. So it got me thinking about how much people, myself, and I think many of us adults, fear losing and fear failure and fear our own shortcomings. How uncomfortable we are in situations where we aren't good at what we are asked to do. I think children, because of their age and dependence on adults, generally are still pretty used to facing their shortcomings. They go to school, they play at recess, and they really have no choice but to constantly do things that they don't excel at, because we force them to do that all the time. But we adults, if we are lucky, have some agency. We can build our lives around our competencies. No one today can force me to endure my painful inadequacies of my lack of skill at spelling or computer programming or fractions. No one can make me do it. So I avoid it and I don't feel bad about myself. We gravitate towards those things that we are good at if we can and forget about those things that we aren't so good at. But of course, only the most fortunate of us can do this forever. Because no matter how good at life we are, no matter how competent we are, or how lucky we are to avoid those things we're not good at, we will eventually have to confront our own limitations. Whether it's playing pinball with friends or family, or not getting that promotion at work, 
struggling to pay rent, or simply getting older and having our bodies break down and not work as well as they used to. And we will face imperfection, whether we choose to or not. We will face loss and failure because avoiding those things is impossible. They are part of what it means to be alive. You can struggle to do everything you can. You can be almost perfect in your life and do everything right, and you will still face your failures. I'm reminded of a quote from Star Trek, if any of you watched it, from the captain Jean-Luc Picard of Star Trek uh, Next Generation. He says this about how we can lose control. It is possible to commit no mistakes, he says, and still lose. That is not weakness. That is life. This can be scary and disheartening. But I try to see it as reassuring instead. Because if I see it as reassuring and comforting, it allows me to let go of the expectation that I'm in control. That when we fail or I fail, it is always my fault. That I deserve blame for that. There's something wrong with me. But if we're all just destined, even if we are perfect, to fall short, if that's just life, that can be liberating. This can help us survive the difficulties of life. But it can't just, shouldn't just end there as a survival mechanism. It's also a way to live more full and vibrantly. As I was standing there next to my young friend, it was hard not to be envious of how much fun he was having contrasted with how much unpleasantness I was experiencing. He was having a lot more fun than me. So it made me wonder, what have I not done because of my fear of failing? How would I let my concern for being labeled a loser or not good at something keep me from something I'd otherwise enjoy? What risks did I not take? These things could be big, not applying for a job because of the fear of disappointment, getting worked up for it for no reason and feeling like we were rejected. Maybe it's not asking someone out, afraid of the embarrassment of a possible rejection. It could also be smaller things, not letting yourself play the game that you want to play because you know you aren't the best at it. Maybe it's writing poetry or playing an instrument or dancing, even though you're still learning. Teachers of children know how important this is, which may be why my young friend was better at it than I was. I know this because in the past few months, my wife and I have been exploring preschools for my almost two-year-old son. We've learned about different schools, talked to different guidance, uh, attend, admissions people, read all the materials we can, learned about their teaching methods, and there is a major theme throughout the board across different schools, whether it is teacher-led, student-led, somewhere in the mix. They all say the same thing. Child development is all about teaching failure, or really about redefining life is not about failure at all. All these educators and all these schools, they want children to build a strong sense of self that gives them the confidence and emotional resiliency that they need which is important, of course, in its own right. We all want to feel good about ourselves. We all want that confidence. But it is especially important because children need to feel that way so they can try new things. They can try to learn 
experiment with this world that they're so new at without feeling fear of failure. The goal of these schools, so many schools, is to create an environment where children can experiment, try things out, hone their skills, without fearing that they will mess up and should never try it again. They want children to develop that baseline, that they are okay, no matter what happens. If the blocks stack up and fall over, they're okay. That's important. It's important for kids to build that, and it's important for each of us as adults. I don't remember having that experience as a child, being taught to build myself up so that I could fail and fail well. But my pinball friend did. It's not too late, though, for all of us here who still feel failure. And maybe you are better at it than me. It's not too late. We can recognize when those feelings of failure or those feelings of fear of failure get to us, we can take a moment to pause and recognize that those are things that can keep us back. Keep us back not only from surviving, but also from just being the kind of person we want to be. Buddhists talk about recognizing feelings and emotion when they arise, recognizing that they are here and then letting them go. One of the best spiritual teachings that I ever heard was that we don't have to let our feelings define us. We can acknowledge that we have them and then let them go. We have an instinct inherently to judge the feelings that we have, to judge ourselves when new things come at us. So often we judge them as success or failure, things that we are good at or bad at, things that we deserve to feel good about and those things we deserve to feel shame about. When we recognize that feeling in us, we need to take a breath and let it go. Let it pass. That lets us do something that we all need to do, which is to build ourselves up to be the kind of people whose sense of self and value, lovability, isn't dependent upon some outcome, something we've produced or done in the world, but is innate to each of us. That we are loved and matter no matter what. Just like those kids who need to know that they matter, they have self-worth, even if the blocks fall down or the cars don't run the way that they want them to. This is about redefining failure, not as something about us as people deep down, as a reflection of our value and worth, but as just part of life that we can accept as people trying to do our best, learning from living it. So friends, go risk failure. Go play a game or an instrument that you are bad at. It's okay. You're not bad for being bad at it. Go ask out that person you really like. Go apply for that job in that field that you really want, but maybe aren't the perfect candidate for. Write poetry that expresses something about you, even if it might not win an award. And even if none of that stuff works out in a way that gets praise, you will have tried and not let failure define you. You have given yourself permission to live and live bravely and live true to yourself. And at the end of your life, that is truly all that really matters. And it's the greatest kind of
success. May it be so for each one of us now and always. Amen. Hi, and welcome to Getting the Message, where we dive a little bit deeper into the service themes of our services here at the Fourth Universalist Society. My name is Ember Kelly. I'm the Director of Religious Education, and I use she and her pronouns. And I'm here with our Senior Minister, Reverend Skylar Vogel. And we get to talk about a very exciting topic today. Failure. Failure. Everyone's favorite topic. Yeah. You know, I think about it at least once a day. Because you must be taking pity on all those other people that fail. Yeah, definitely. So, un so unknown to you. I've, I've never had failure in my, in my life. This is true. <laughs> I, I really love the, the theme. What, what was the inspiration? Well, part of it, so um, those of you who I've spoken to about how we come up with service, service themes, um, know that we try to kind of vary up the, the topics or vary up the kind of the, the styles of service. And I feel like I haven't spoken a lot about um, maybe more like, personal stuff, not necessarily about myself, but, but about the things that we as human beings go through on a personal level. Um, we talked a lot about like social justice, some of history recently, um, wider cultural themes, but this felt like something that, um, you know, was an opportunity to reflect more on for ourselves as individuals about what our lives look like, the kind of lives we want to lead. And failure is such a powerful thing um, that in some ways rules our lives um, if we aren't careful. And so, um, I had this experience that I talked about in the, in the reflection about playing pinball with um, one of my relatives, and it was uh, uh, it just brought this up for me. And I, I was thinking about, oh, um, I, I would like to live a life which is less um, influenced by whatever whatever avoidance I might have about failure, or just like disappointment, or not being good at stuff, and. I don't know. I feel like it was something that spoke to me and I wanted to talk about today. Right. Well, and I feel like especially in our culture with like the, the hustle culture that's really dominant right now, uh, that, you know, like, sure, people like to, you know, everyone, what's the, the, I think it's the Edison quote, you know, like, I had 100 failures to make my one successful light bulb. And everyone likes to quote that and like the hustle culture and they use it as an excuse to overwork and like, mm -hmm. it's okay if all these things keep failing because I will get to the one successful thing. But like, it's also okay just to like accept that sometimes we aren't good at things, to accept that uh, something didn't go well and then it's something we can learn from. Like, you know, it's, it doesn't have to lead us to, to overwork. We can let it lead us to rest sometimes. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think one of the most profound things I remember hearing from someone, I don't remember who, but the idea of spiritual wisdom being not attaching an immediate judgment, judgment to everything that we do or anything that we encounter, right? And so, so often we're trained in this world that everything we we do right is immediately on this judgment path of is it are we good at it are we bad at it um and, and we're always assessing ourselves and judging ourselves and judging other people too and and so being able to withhold ourselves from that place of judgment uh, it's certainly a buddhist practice right of that of what's you know, noticing a feeling but then letting it go um in the moment so i think you know what like what you're saying it's it's you certainly can learn from failures in a productive way, but really it's not about being productive. It's not about succeeding in the end. It's about allowing yourself permission to live the kind of life you want without framing it in the binary of success and failure. Mm. Um, and that is uh, harder to do because it is, we are so much, we're brought up in a world where we are supposed to succeed and the failure 
that the opposite of that is very scary and, and morally dubious, I think. A non-attachment to tenure, a non-attachment to success. Yeah. Um, no, and I think, uh, I mean, there's, you know, in the, in the time for all ages, I talk about uh, some of my past failures when I was young and for all the instruments that I tried to play and all the, um, the sports that I tried to sign up for just to not last very long in them. Uh, but as I got older, the failure in also being able to give up at those things enabled me to better stick with the things that I actually enjoyed instead of having like an overcrowded life. Um, but even in a more recent uh, life experience, um, uh, I have been working on as a step of my transition, transitioning my voice. And I had all these big goals and deadlines only to discover that it is much harder than, um, than I thought, especially teaching myself informally. And that sometimes failure is part of a process and that there's learning and that not everything's an instant success, but that also doesn't automatically make it a failure either. Yeah, um, failure is is often part of the road to success, um, or just part of what the journey requires of us all to to learn. Because how can you how can you not fail if you're trying? To, you know, none of us are perfect at everything. None of us know everything from the start. What have you failed at recently? <laughs> <laughs> no, what's your favorite? We're reflecting on my childhood, um, uh, like my childhood experiences of failure with sports and instruments. Was there Things that stand out from your childhood is like things that you remember that got ingrained yeah. in your mind is like, oh, wow, this kind of was not that fun. Sure, absolutely. Um, I, you know, uh, I was not a perfect student or particularly a great student or maybe even a good student um, in elementary school or in high school. I was, I hung out with people who were smarter than me um, or the better at school than me. And so I kind of got put in this group of people who people assumed were good at stuff. Um, but I, I have very vivid memories of, of struggling with spelling. I have mm. very vivid memories of not understanding fractions. Um, probably, fractions were probably the earliest example where I remember the teacher being like, I don't know what else I can do. Uh, being really upset about just feeling really dumb um, and not getting it. And no matter what, it's just like my brain wasn't capable, wasn't able to do it. And eventually, I guess I learned about fractions. I wasn't like something finally clicked. wasn't like in high school I was not understanding fractions but but um but I think that experience growing up and would later you know in high school around I tried to take AP chemistry that didn't work I tried to take computer programming uh half a semester and I was getting 18 percent uh in the class uh, I just I couldn't do it my brain wasn't designed for it I guess um and that that was tough uh but it was also like so beyond what I could could do that in some ways I had nothing right I had nothing to do but accept the fact that like it wasn't like I wasn't trying hard it wasn't that I I was good at other stuff but these were things that I clearly had limitations around um and other people didn't and that was good for them but I also think it also breaks down this idea of like what is what is intelligence what does it mean to be good at things what does it mean to feel pride in who you are and, and what you do because I was good at a lot of things in high school, but there were some things I just couldn't do. Right. And so how did I frame my sense of worth given that kind of weird dichotomy of, of value and failure? And I think, I mean, that's a problem, process we all go through still, right? And I get to avoid worrying about computer programming and AP chem now as an adult, but I sometimes see little bits of that, like 
you know, looking at things. I'm like, I don't really understand how that works. Escape AB Chem. <laughs> no, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to our uh, upcoming sermon series on fractions. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I think it'd be a very very clever topic. You know, we can. Uh, but no, I really appreciate you know hearing about that because I agree there was many times. And I hope, you know, whether it's the young folks or the young adults or even the older folks in our congregation, our elders, that we all can take time to learn this lesson. Like this is a this is a cross-generational lesson for us. Yeah. Yeah. Our failures, our limitations should not define us because chances are there are things that we can do very well, um, or at least, you know, and tie those things to what we enjoy. And that I think is a recipe for happy life generally. Um and if we're so lucky to do that, um, we should. Thanks for sitting down with me today. It's good to be back from my time off. And yeah, welcome back. And very hope you had a nice time away. And glad to have you back. And uh, we'll have more of these great conversations. And thank you to all of our listeners. Mm -hmm.